Thank you for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. Welcome. You are listening to Aftersight. This recording is intended solely for individuals who are blind or have low vision. Thank you for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. This reading is for January 16th, 2024. Today I'll be reading the following articles. In commemoration of Julian Rush, 1936-2023, by Anna Lee. New Hampshire moves to ban gender-affirming surgery for minors, by Claire Song. And more gay men to be granted access to blood donation in Seattle, by Oscar Leon. In commemoration for Julian Rush, 1936-2023, Julian Rush passed away at the age of 87 on November 28, 2023. With his two sons by his side in Phoenix, Arizona, Reverend Rush was one of the first openly gay ministers and the first director of CAP, Colorado Aid Project, and in the face of discrimination, lived his life to help people in need and create a more inclusive world. David Dufield, coordinator for the Colorado LGBTQ History Project, wrote in an essay memorizing Rush and says, in his service to others through his ministry and his work with the Colorado AIDS Project, he moved people heroically through some of the darkest times in recent memory. Born in Meridian, Mississippi in 1936, Rush, in many regards, had an all-American childhood filled with church, piano lessons, and Boy Scouts. But growing up in the Deep South, Rush was confronted with blatant racism and homophobia that was rampant in this hostile environment. He recounted his upbringing in the segregated South. By junior high school, I knew there was something about the social structure which didn't make sense to me. He went on to receive his Master of Sacred Theology at the Southern Methodist University's Perkins School of Theology. During his time, his interest in politics grew. He campaigned for John F. Kennedy Jr. and also joined the Third Montgomery March. While he never met Martin Luther King Jr., King inspired Rush and ignited the passion for the civil rights movement. After completing his degree, he served as a United Methodist youth pastor in Fort Worth, Texas, Colorado Springs, and finally in Boulder. During his time in Boulder, he separated from his wife and began to accept that he was and always had been gay. Rush confided in the head preacher of the First United Methodist Church, resulting in the preacher outing him in 1981. Concluding multiple hearings, Rush was found unsuitable for his position and terminated based on his sexual orientation. Many in the congregation met Rush with support. Shortly after his dismissal, he was appointed to St. Paul's United Methodist Church, though without pay. To subsidize his income, he began working part-time for the Chrysalis Project, which offered outreach and support to young commercial sex workers. In 1983, Denver's Gay and Lesbian Community Center hired Rush to direct the newly established Colorado AIDS Project. With the Reagan administration all but ignoring the health crisis, local queer communities faced the task of treating patients with limited, all by non-existent help from the government. During the organization's infancy, it had only one staff member, two volunteers, and seven patients. Over the 17 years Rush ran CAP, 
he established the organization that is now part of the Colorado Health Network. CEO of the Colorado Health Network, Daryl Vigil, says when he left the organization in the year 2000, he had over 50 employees and a budget of $3 million. Today, we're seeing over 5,500 HIV-positive clients and over 7,000 prevention clients. And really, we wouldn't be doing the work if it hadn't been for the work that he did in the beginning. His name became synonymous with the organization through the 80s and 90s, bearing witness to the death and suffering that was ongoing during the AIDS crisis, had taken a toll, and Rush was, in his words, burned out. This fatigue led him to step down from this position. After leaving the organization, Rush directed the Caring Friends program of Hemlock and then co-directed the Client Services program of Compassion and Choices. He also continued his passion of composing music and hymns. Julian Rush will be remembered by family, friends, and the LGBTQ plus community as a person who created a more inclusive and safe world. His role as an LGBTQ plus activist and with CAP continues to have positive ripples that can still be seen today, and he will be mourned by many. New Hampshire moves to ban gender-affirming surgery for minors. The State House of New Hampshire voted last week to ban physicians from performing gender-affirming surgeries for minors. The motion is expected to pass in the Senate as well. House Bill 619, which passed in a 199-175 to 175 vote, was initially intended to block all forms of gender-affirming care for minors, including hormone replacement therapy. However, it was amended to only cover genital surgeries as well as preventing health care workers from referring minors out of state for these procedures. The same day, the House voted to send House Bill 396 to the Senate. This would classify individuals on the basis of biological sex rather than gender for a variety of situations, including incarceration, athletic competitions, and bathroom usage. Interestingly, General surgeries are already exceedingly rare for minors to undergo and are not generally recommended for anyone under 18. However, opponents of the bill argue that such a ban would set a dangerous precedent for the authority of state governments such matters. What's more, it could be said that this law infringes upon the rights of parents to make medical decisions for their children. New Hampshire is only one of many states attempting to tighten their grip on transgender people, and especially trans youth. At the state level, there are over 250 anti-trans bills in play across the U.S., places according to translegislators.com, such as Michigan, Ohio, Louisiana, and more have all passed or attempted to pass laws that would ban gender-affirming care for minors in some form. Meanwhile, other state governments such as Florida and Tennessee have looked into either banning or reducing access to any form of gender-affirming care for both minors and adults. The passage of House Bill 619 and its likely affirmation in the Senate seems to send a dangerous message in New Hampshire. Christ Urchel, an attorney with GLAD, says, I see this as a fear-mongering and opportunism that is just meant to target and play political volleyball with an extremely vulnerable group of people. More gay men to be granted access to blood donation in Seattle. A huge step in the queer community has been made reality in Seattle. For a very long time, queer people were banned from giving any type of blood donation amid the AIDS epidemic of the 80s. 
The AIDS epidemic was harmful to the queer community as many associated AIDS and same-gender couples, becoming one of the most harmful accusations towards the queer community, even though it has been debunked that AIDS does not affect just the LGBTQ plus folks, queer people are still not allowed to donate blood. This continues to harm the community because it takes history back to the days when queer people were subject to brutal attacks and constant bullying, practices that unfortunately still exist today. John Rubino felt this brunt of discrimination after wanting to donate blood in order to help those recovering from COVID, many requiring blood transfusions in order to stay healthy. Rubino, as a survivor of COVID, said he felt the need to help, but was instantly turned away for being gay. However, in a victorious twist of fate, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration will finally change criteria for donating blood, now requiring anyone who donates blood to submit to HIV transmission risk regardless of gender. This will allow any gay or bisexual man to donate blood. Donating blood should not be determined by anyone's sexuality, and basing it on this sends a harmful message to the queer community and only backtracks history rather than making an advancement towards progress. Donating blood is about saving someone's life, and such restrictions make the chances of saving someone's life even lower. Rubino vowed to be the first one in line as soon as the blood works starts using the new regulations. The new model that will be used will still require them to be screened for HIV. Those who are on HIV medication will be deferred for three months in order to prevent any transmission of the disease. Doctors will still have to ask about anal sex, as it is possible to get HIV through that form of intercourse. Those who answered yes to anal sex will also be deferred three months. Alcron, an employee of Bloodworks, says that this model was implemented in the UK in 2021 and was introduced in Canada back in 2022. So far, they have not seen signs of HIV or AIDS in recipients who receive blood from gay or bi men. While this is a huge step in the right direction, it has not been applied across the nation yet, but the FDA approves of this change. It would finally be a huge step in breaking a stigma that has followed the gay community for over 40 years. LGBT Movement Banned by Russian Courts This past November, the Russian court banned the global LGBT movement on the grounds of the organization being an extremist group that goes against traditional family values. Despite the LGBTQ plus community being a broad term and not an organization within itself, rather a large umbrella that covers a diverse variety of folks, the Russian court has banned activities held by the LGBTQ plus community and qualifies the community as an extremist group. After the Justice Ministry in Russia announced the proposed lawsuit last year, an onslaught of public outcry and global reprimand did little to shift the ruling. Worries sprouted that the open-ended ban could encourage discrimination against LGBTQ plus folks and result in jail time for anyone engaging in LGBTQ plus activism or even non-heterosexual relationships and those expressing gender identities outside of the binary. Before the ruling, Max Olenevich, a human rights lawyer working with the Russian LGBTQ plus community, told the Associated Press, in practice, it could happen that the Russian authorities, with this court ruling in hand, will enforce the ruling against LGBTQ plus initiatives that work in Russia, considering them part of the civic movement.
Given the harsh sentencing associated with extremist groups in Russia, participants and funders can face up to 12 years under the criminal code, and those displaying the group symbol can face 15 days in person for first-time offenses and up to four years as repeat offenders. Concerns regarding how and when the ruling will be used persist. Concerns were vindicated after Russian police raided multiple gay establishments in Moscow less than 48 hours after the ruling. Although the police claimed that the conducted raids to search for drugs, queer LGBTQ plus club goers found themselves under arrest and in fear of prison sentences this past December. Sergei Troshan, a municipal deputy in St. Petersburg who came out as gay last year, told BBC, This is real repression. There is a panic in Russians LGBTQ plus community people are immigrating urgently. The actual word we're using is evacuation. We're having to evacuate from our own country. It's terrible. President Vladimir Putin's decade-long attack on LGBTQ plus folks finds justification in the guise of protecting traditional family values. The Kremlin adopted the gay propaganda law, which prohibits any non-critical depiction of non-traditional relationships among minors back in 2013. Amidst the invasion of Ukraine, anti-LGBTQ plus legislation has continued to multiply. In 2022, the Kremlin expanded the gay propaganda law to include adults essentially banning any depictions of queerness in Russian society. From outlying gay marriage back in 2021 to the current ban on the entire LGBTQ plus community, Putin's push for traditional families seems more than like a push to eradicate queer people from Russia. Although Russian officials say that this ban is not an attack on the LGBTQ plus rights, it is hard to separate LGBTQ plus folks from the LGBTQ plus community. This begs the question, what is the LGBTQ plus community? And better yet, how does one qualify or not qualify as a member of this extremist organization? Regardless of the sheer absurdity of this ruling, the safety of Russia's queer community is only becoming more jeopardized. LGBTQ-affirming Georgia church vandalized. An LGBTQ-plus-affirming church in Atlanta, Georgia, was vandalized in what church leaders suspect was a homophobic act. Despite being seated in the center of the Bible Belt, Virginia Highland Church stands out as an LGBTQ-plus-affirming place of worship. Its websites describe it as a Jesus-following, justice-loving, LGBTQ-affirming, anti-racist, radically inclusive faith community. It is comprised of roughly 40% queer-identified people, and Pastor Matt Lanley makes it clear that all are welcome regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity. However, a week ago, a man was seen tearing down a banner hanging outside of the church. The banner displayed the colors of the Progress Pride flag, as well as the slogan, A Just World for All. Lenny described the action as being very aggressive, clearly trying to make a statement, unfortunately, and says that he suspects the man was specifically targeting Virginia Highland for its inclusive policies. Police are currently investigating the act of vandalism as a possible hate crime. The issue of LGBTQ plus acceptance in the Christian church has been a source of some contention in the past, and this isn't the first time a place of worship has been vandalized or attacked for supporting its queer members. 
Just a mile away from Virginia Highland, vandals spray-painted a fellow LGBTQ plus affirming church last summer, and earlier last year, a neo-Nazi group attempted to firebomb a church that was hosting a drag story hour event. But Virginia Highland Church will not let this act of hate stop them, Laney said. When you're out loud and proud as we are, as a community getting our message out there, there are those who don't agree and some disagree in ways that are disagreeable and hateful. But when the hatred rises up, when the shadows gather, that's an opportunity for us to shine more love and light in the world. Movie Review, The Mean Girls Musical, Remake Adds New Dimensions to a Familiar Story. Rating 94 out of 100. 20 years after Tina Fey's Mean Girls became one of the most surprising hit comedies of all time, Fey returns to double dip in the popular franchise. The 2024 version of Mean Girls is less a remake or more of an adaptation of the Broadway musical version of Mean Girls that Fey collaborated on with her husband Jeff Richmond. The result is a whole new version of the 20-year-old story, one that doesn't follow the original beat for beat, but rather finds ways to add new dimensions to the story that weren't there in the original. Much like in the original, Katie Heron and Gory Rice is a naive young teenage girl who grew up in Africa where she was homeschooled by her research scientist mother, Jenna Fisher. When Katie's mother takes a job in the United States, Katie starts attending North Shore High School. There she's befriended by Janice, Ima, Like, and Damien Hubbard, who warn Katie to beware of the evil plastics, the superficial girls who rule the school, Gretchen Wieners, Karen Shetty, and the queen bee herself, Regina George. However, Regina takes a liking to Katie and invites the new student to join the plastics at their lunch table. Janice, who has complicated past with Regina, comes up with a plan to use Katie to sabotage Regina's popularity, but the plan backfires as Katie gradually becomes the new queen bee of the school, taking Regina George's place. The new version of Mean Girls finds ways to really expand on the relationships between the characters and give them meatier backstories. Gretchen's solo number, What's Wrong With Me, really gives us a chance to understand how Gretchen became such a fragile person and why she bases her entire self-worth on her relationship with Regina. The relationship between Janice, Ima Ike, who plays Janice Ian in the original and Janice Sarkeesian in the musical, and Regina George gets a much more fleshed-out backstory that better explains why Janice and Regina had their falling out. Unlike in the original, where Regina perceived Janice to be a lesbian, but Janice's true sexuality is never really revealed. The Janice in this version of the movie is explicitly queer, <clears throat> and that is directly related to why she and Regina stopped being friends. One of my many issues with the original Mean Girls has always been the scene where Janice shows up that she wasn't invited to and accuses Katie of becoming one of the plastics and calls Katie a mean girl. To me, Janice was always complicit in turning Katie into a monster that she becomes. In the 2024 version, it felt like there was more of a concrete decision by Katie to move beyond Janice's original revenge plot and become the new Queen Bee, and it felt like Janice was a little more justified in feeling betrayed by Katie. By the same token, the new Janice seems to understand the role she played in making Katie a plastic and regrets it, even while she feels betrayed by Katie. 
Joaquel Spivey is arguably an even better Damien than Daniel Franzese was in the original. Spivey portrays a version of Damien that's more theatrical and dramatic and ultimately brings more comedy to the role than Franzese did. Spivey and Cravalho also have much better chemistry than Lizzie Kaplan and Daniel Franzese. Similarly, Avantika is arguably an even funnier version of the dim-witted Karen than Amanda Seyfried was. And while it's hard to compete with the Rachel McAdams original portrayal of the iconic character Regina George, Renee Rapp absolutely gives McAdams a run for her money. In fact, I might even go so far as to say that overall the 2024 version of The Mean Girls is better than the 2004 version. If that sounds like a bold statement, that's because it is. But the musical remake manages to add new depths that weren't there in the 2004 version and fixes the few minor problems that the original had. It's not a whole new story, but it's a distinctly fresh take on a familiar story that will be a delight for fans of the original and serve as a great introduction to the story for brand new fans. So dress yourself in your favorite pink garb and catch the new Mean Girls because... This one is certainly fetch as it gets. The center origin set to open in Denver. A new holistic wellness center, the center origin, is opening in Denver's Lodo District. The first of a series of five planned wellness centers, the pioneering center is the brainchild of founder and CEO Elizabeth Cook, who co-founded cannabis brand Cola Signature in 2015 after retiring from her career as an LCSW in 2010. The Center Origin will offer a variety of holistic wellness services, including gentle yoga, Reiki healing, guided breathwork, and talk therapy. The goal is to bring mind and body health together in order to integrate health and wellness practices into daily life. Holistic wellness is defined as wellness as the interdependence of several dimensions of health. The whole person, therefore, isn't well unless they're well in every area of their life, not just physical health. In the future, the endeavor will expand to the center genesis, which will offer psilocybin-assisted psychedelic treatment under Colorado's Natural Medicine Division. The center origin will then serve as a pre- and post-treatment space for the center genesis patients. All of these aspects will be curated by a team of accredited therapists and healers who believe in mind-body restoration through natural medicines and holistic healing methodologies. A variety of all-natural plant-based products will be available on-site as well, including bath salts and tea blends. The Center Origin will also offer daily room rentals for therapists and healers looking for a space to practice their work. Wellness professionals will also be able to enter into partnership program with the Wellness Center if desired. The space boasts three newly renovated and fully furnished practice spaces, a cushioned open space for yoga, floor work, and massage, and a fully equipped kitchen according to the official website. Daily and monthly memberships will be available for those seeking to utilize the Wellness Center services. The Alana Faith Chen Foundation aims to prevent suicide within the LGBTQ community. The Alana Faith Chen Foundation offers support for the LGBTQ community through therapy grants across the U.S. They fight to ensure every LGBTQ person at risk of suicide has access to the mental health treatment and therapy they need. 
Alana Faith Chen was a 24-year-old who died by suicide after years of conversion therapy and sexual oppression. It was Chen's dream to work to help empower those who are oppressed and marginalized to find freedom, to find healing, and to find a voice. Adventure therapy, art therapy, and dialectical behavioral therapy were all paramount in her recovery and healing. Alana hoped to specialize in those areas when becoming a counselor. She wanted to somehow help make access to quality mental health services more accessible and affordable. Her family has now made it their mission to do just that. They especially fight the LGBTQ plus community who have suffered from conversion therapy, religious abuse, shame by their church, community, and other institutions. OFM had a chance to connect with Carissa Chen, who is Alana's older sister and co-founder of the Alana Faith Chen Foundation. Who is Alana Faith Chen? Alana Faith Chen was my younger sister. We were two years apart. She was an artist, a musician. She loved the outdoors and frisbee. Alana had a really big heart for everyone, her family and friends, but even people she hardly knew. She always saw the good in people. When was the foundation founded? The foundation was founded in December 2019, right after Alana passed. We didn't start partnering with therapists and providing therapy until June 2020. What's the goal and dream of the Alana Faith Chen Foundation? The goal of AFCF is to prevent suicide in the LGBTQ community, starting in Colorado, where Alana lived and underwent conversion therapy. We are a small but mighty nonprofit dedicated to being here for people who are usually turned away because of lack of financial resources. We're starting to contribute to therapy in other states like California and hoping to continue to grow and partner with queer-affirming therapists around the U.S. Thank you again for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aftersight.org or by calling 303 Seven eight six seven 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 seven. Thank you again for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros.